Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. Strangely enough, my name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a powerful force for good, and so I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, the way this uh, game is played is uh, I read a chapter from uh, a book that I have written and then uh, talk a little bit about uh, either some of the why I wrote it or some of the Easter eggs that are in there or some other interesting tidbit that may be interesting to you. Um, and that's, that's how it goes. We've been uh, looking at a story that I wrote um, called Showdown in the Yukon. And today we officially end act one. For those of you who are interested in story structure, we're going to end Act 1, and we're going to be in Act 2 for a while after this. Um, this is good. Uh, the adventure gets started, and our hero, Monterey Jack, uh, starts his adventure. And there's a, a couple of interesting things that um, don't really pertain to the, the plot necessarily, but are in there uh, anyway. Um, so um, I will we will read the, the chapter here, and then I'll be back with... Um, uh, some other comments right after uh, we hear from this week's sponsors. I also wanted to let you know that Sabrina Kevins and Mr. Alexander's Pottery Palace is now out in audiobook form. If you listen to the chapters as they came out on this podcast, but would like them all without all of my commentary and all that stuff, uh, then you can just swing over to my author page on Amazon or check them out at audible.com and you can get your very own copy of the audiobook version of Sabrina Cubbins and Mr. Alexander's Pottery Palace. Uh, there's an audiobook too there of Fishtails. You can grab that too. Uh, if nothing else, you can let other people know if they are more of uh, audiobook people that it's there. You can also leave a review over there on Amazon or Audible as well. That would be much appreciated too. Well, enough of me talking about that. Now on to this week's chapter. Chapter 6 Monterey returned the handkerchief to his pocket before getting back to work. He cut the lard into the flour and added the milk until it formed a shaggy dough. After rolling out the dough, he cut the biscuits and silently dropped the round lumps in a perfect grid on a pan before sliding them into the oven. He made his way to the stove to get the flapjacks going. In a flash came a vision of all the gold he was saying goodbye to and how he wished Mac had just left him alone. Then ladling out six perfect circles of batter on the griddle, Mac remembered all the wrongs he had done to innocent people in his brief life. He realized if there was any justice in the world, there was no way he deserved anything good in return. Not gold, not Lucy, not nothing. All the same, he felt bad not traveling to help his friend, and there was the nagging thought that the story about the mine was true. Just then, a breathless Mac Sutherland came bounding into the kitchen. "'I was hoping I would find you upright and aware,' Mac cleared his throat." Before we head out for good, I wanted to make sure that you were absolute in your decision not to come with us. Of course, you are perfectly well within your rights to refuse the offer, but not wishing to let any stone go unturned, I thought I would ask. Monterey's heart stopped when he saw his old friend and stood slack-jawed. I confess I laid my head down upon my cool pillow last night with the impression that you would be accompanying us, and was quite crestfallen when I was, for lack of a better term, stood up. How did you get back here? Monterey managed. 
The repairs on the wagon have delayed our departure, but are you still game for this adventure? I thought you had already gone. Did Pap see you? Never mind all that, Max silenced Monterey with a wave of his hand. I take it then that you did not receive our note. Note? wondered Monterey. I have seen no note. I left it with the... Hold on. And with that, Max shot back out of the kitchen as suddenly as he arrived. Monterey's mind reeled and his resolve about staying weakened. Like a deceased loved one coming back to life, he wondered if this might be a sign to get out of town and get on a different path in life. No longer playing the role of Pap's safety net and instead become a man of standing on his own two feet. Mac returned, holding a flap of paper and handed it to Monterey. Paps followed close behind, sputtering and stammering about a low workforce and how much like a son Monterey had become to him. Besides, he told me to tell you. That's okay, Paps. Monterey stopped him. I can take care of this. Monterey unfolded the paper and read these words. Dear Mr. Denvers, I would like to formally hire you to fulfill the role of thief and pickpocket on our quest northward to recover my late husband's claim. Your job will be to travel with us from Good and Gulch to the Yukon Township of Penny Canyon and beyond to the nearby claim deeded over by my deceased husband. Along the way, you are to make yourself useful with any variety of tasks, namely those involving deception and thievery. For your effort, you will be paid the equivalent of $10,000 in gold plus a 1% royalty on any future gold harvested from the mine proper. Also, there shall be no fraternizing with my daughter, nor shall there be any plots devised to keep me separated from my husband's legacy. If you violate these terms, there will be no, repeat, no toleration of your continued presence with our party. If you should choose to accept these terms, please meet up at the livery at the edge of town by nine of the clock. Best wishes and kind regards, Gladys Finch. Monterey looked up from the paper. What time is it? You have ten minutes, give or take, Max smiled. If you still want to come, you'll need to pack quickly. Paps started to huff and puff as he realized what was happening. This is highway robbery, sir. To wander in here and steal my boy like this. Monterey is like a son to me, you know. Paps, you all but said I'd steal this place from you the first chance I got. I'm not a son to you. I'm a... I'm a... I don't know what I am, but I am not your son. Chances like this rarely happen, and if you were in my shoes, you'd jump at it. I'm sure you'll find someone to keep you out of trouble. Biscuits need to come out of the oven soon, and it looks like the flapjacks need flipping. And with that, Monterey bolted from the kitchen to his shack behind the inn. He didn't have time to think about whether or not he should bring this item or that one. Instead, he grabbed whatever was closest and tossed it onto his bed, then tied it all up in his bedsheet. If you think you'll have a job in a room when you get back, he could hear Paps call after him as he ran down the street to the livery. You've got the wrong idea. Monterey knew this was no proper way to leave town, but he didn't care. Out of breath and on the verge of passing out, Monterey arrived at the livery to see Mrs. Finch reconciling accounts with Mr. Pauls, the livery manager. Lucy was already positioned in the wagon, patiently waiting on their departure. You're here. Mrs. Finch said. Monterey thought her voice seemed somewhat surprised. Should I assume you accept my terms? Yes, ma'am, Monterey managed between breaths. Fine. Fine. Throw your things in the wagon and let me finish up with Mr. Uh, what did you say your name was again? Paul's. We need to head out momentarily. Monterey walked over to the rear of the wagon and hoisted his makeshift luggage into the back with Lucy and the other items. It was the shiny green contraption he had seen roll through town the day before. 
He smiled at Mac's style and lack of subtlety. Good morning, Miss Finch, Monterey said. Good morning, Mr. Danvers, she said, trying not to look at him. He fished in his pocket and pulled out her handkerchief. I believe you dropped this in the parlor last night. I'm glad I was able to see you again before you drove off without it. I have others, she said. I'm sure you do, he said. I just thought it was very kind of you to return it, she said. But you are more than welcome to keep it. Monterey smiled and began to place the cloth back into his pocket. That is, unless you already have one of your own, I don't want to burden you unnecessarily with my belongings. How about I just keep it with me, and if you ever need it, you'll know where it is, Monterey said. She smiled at this and began to study the folds in her skirt. Monterey stared at the shape of her face and the way Lucy's hair provided the perfect frame for her jaw. He knew he was not to be overly friendly with Lucy, so he kept his thoughts to himself. Lucy looked up quickly and said, You know, my mother is none too impressed with you, don't you? She has made that abundantly clear, he said. Propness is a virtue in her book, and your tardiness is a black mark that will be very difficult to erase. What do you mean? I made it with time to spare. However, I'm not here to make friends with your mother. You're here to win some gold, Lucy said. I'm here to do what I can to make sure you see justice done. No more, no less. If gold is a part of the result of that, I will not be upset. Monterey smiled at her, but she did not outright return it, though Monterey wondered if he didn't see the hint of a smile in her eyes. Good, you're all loaded, Max said as he arrived effortlessly, again without a hint of road dust on him. I would hate to think you'd driven off without me. He tipped his hat to Lucy. Good morning, miss. He turned to Monterey. I settled accounts with Mr. Montgomery for you. I doubt you'll ever be employed in that establishment should you wish to return, but at least you won't owe him anything either. I doubt I will ever see this place again, Monterey said. You can repay the gesture to me at some point in the future, I'm sure, Max said. Come on, we're burning daylight, Mrs. Finch said. There will be plenty of time for conversation once we get this contraption moving in the right direction. She paused and looked at Monterey. I hope you got everything you'll need. This may be the last time we see civilization for a while. Mrs. Finch slapped the wood of the wagon with her hand and then climbed up next to Mac in the front. A moment later, Monterey heard Mac's whistle to the horses, felt the wagon lurch forward, and a flood of nerves hit his bloodstream. The adventure, for good or for ill, had begun. Monterey looked with fondness as he saw the familiar buildings of Good and Gulch get smaller and smaller in the distance. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, this is the end of Act 1, and you now have the feeling like we're about to get started. And that's sort of, if you're into story structure, that's kind of how you know when Act 1 is over, is when you feel like, oh, now this is what the book is about, and we're on with the thing. Um, so there were a couple of uh, interesting, as I was, okay, so here's... Sorry, finish the sentence. Interesting thing about the recording that you're listening to of uh, this book, I had recorded uh, this whole book as an audiobook a couple of years ago. Uh, I had a friend of mine say, I would read Showdown in the Yukon. I'm very interested in that, but I, I don't have time to sit down and read a book, but I have time to listen to books in the car. And I thought, uh, should I? I don't know. Should I make a, a recording? 
And I had uh, the earlier book, uh, you can go back and listen to it on this podcast, uh, Fish Tales. I had recorded that audiobook. It was a lot of work. I don't even know that I did it all that well, but it was a lot of work. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do that again for a much longer book. But like, well, you know, I would like this guy to read the book, so I will record it. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing with the recording, which is probably why it sounds a little muddy. And um, uh, it was interesting going through all of that, uh, listening to it again. So I think, oh, there's that line that I can't remember if I took it out in all the revisions. But I remember in revising it, there was a line that I said, I don't know how many times of this may be the last time uh, we see civilization for a while. We say it a lot <laughs> in, in a draft. I, I don't know if it's in this one or not, but there's a lot of not finding civilization. But then look, there's another bit of civilization. So uh, you can be listening out for that little uh, Easter egg throughout the thing to see if it uh, survived the um, uh, revising. I can't remember now. Um, but also, um, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I don't know how to name things very well. So what I tend to do, particularly with, uh, well, with anything, really, I find something that already exists and just name them that, but give it a new identity. So where Monterey works is the Hayes House Inn, which is a place that I grew up visiting in Kansas. Um, Good and Gulch is named after the maiden name of my mom's mom. Uh, her name was Ruth Gooden. And then uh, the livery guy in this chapter, Pauls, uh, there was a, a guy I grew up with named Eric Pauls. We were really good friends. We were always hanging out together for most of the 18 years I lived in my hometown. And so just a, a quick nod over to him and his family uh, with the naming of the livery uh, stable guy. Um, so there's that. And then as I'm listening to the recording, I'm also just appalled at my terrible Southern accent with um, uh, Max Sutherland. Uh, part of the thing with the uh, recording of the audiobook is that I listen to a lot of uh, audiobooks because uh, I also don't have time to sit down and read a book often. So I'm listening to those. And all these really great voice actors are doing all these voices and changing up everything. And when I wrote Mac, I wrote him as a Southern gentleman, uh, not really thinking, oh, I might have to do that voice in a recording. And I'm not from the South. And every Southerner I know gets very upset when uh, someone not from there tries to do their accent. They go, that's not how we sound. So if you are a Southern speaker and you're listening to my foghorn leghorn uh, accent, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that that's sort of uh, what's going on uh, with that. And I'm, yeah, but I did enjoy writing him with the foghorn leghorn accent in my head. At least you know what was going on upstairs when I was writing down these long-winded sentences that Max Sutherland says. Uh, on a personal note, I am in the middle of revising the sequel to this book. So I had planned for the sequel to Showdown in the Yukon to be released in May of 2021. 
that as things go, I wrote it, was mostly happy with it, sent it out to some friends who gave me some feedback, which was very helpful. And that feedback was, uh, we don't like your main character. So um, I'm, I'm back through trying to, like they liked the story fine, but we just didn't like the guy. So I'm going back through doing some, some heavy revisions, which has kind of thrown the timeline off a little bit. So I hope to give you some updates on that as to when that may come out. And I hope certainly before Christmas. Um, so that's what's going on on my end of things. I would love to know how things are going on with you. So if you haven't connected with me, either through uh, signing up for my reader group or uh, through um, leaving a rating, a review, or any number of, of things, um, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, other people may enjoy the show. And apparently the, the computer robots uh, really like it when you uh, let them know that you like it and they'll tell other people about it as well. Um, so uh, I hope you're having a great week. And until next time, I hope you continue to have a good one.